Are you ready to uncover your retirement solution? Learn more as Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you along the path of retirement and reveal the five steps you need to take to solve your retirement puzzle. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Retirement Revealed with Jeremy Kyle. Today we're going to be talking about getting back to the basics. What's up, Jeremy? Not too much. How are you doing, Eric? <laughs> I'm, I am energetic, excited. I'm stir crazy, you know, the whole social distancing, mm-hmm. you know, working from my basement. Well, I've been doing that for years, you know, so I've been practicing social distancing for, I think, what, seven, eight years. I think we've talked about right. that before. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm getting pretty good at it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it would be nice to be able to get together with friends and, and talk over, you know, coffee across a table or something instead of Zoom meetings and, and mm-hmm. weird phone calls and FaceTime and all that. But it's still nice to be able to talk to folks like you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to have you on the uh, on the line here. Yeah, me too. Uh, you told me that before we even started this that we're going to get back to basics, which I think is a pretty good idea right about mm-hmm. now, right? I mean, with, with everything that's going on, it's nice to kind of hit that reset button on a few things, and, and uh, getting back to basics is, is uh, a good topic for today. So what exactly are you talking about? Yeah, we're talking about investing, just the basics of investing. Uh, there's so many people you run into that they have hundreds of thousands. They might have millions of dollars because they are great savers, but they consistently don't know or haven't been educated yet in the ways that investing works. And and that's okay. I don't blame you. It's not like uh, every single person's forced to take an investing class in high school mm-hmm. or college. And the unfortunate part is a lot of times other financial advisors make it more complicated than it seems. And we just believe so much in education we believe so much that if you know about your money, you'll feel better about your money and you'll make better decisions about your money. So that's what we want to make sure is let's just cover the basics of investing today. All right. Sounds good. So where do we start with the basics? What's the first thing? Well, uh, just first thing is let's just think about uh, the different types of investments that are out there. And okay. we're just going to try to keep it simple. But basically, when you're investing, you're either getting stocks, bonds, real estate, or cash. Those are the four areas. Okay. And most of the time, uh, it's stocks and bonds make up the vast majority of the portfolio of your investments. Mm-hmm. But there's still uh, the chance to own real estate. There's still a chance to have some cash. A lot of times people view their cash type accounts as more like, oh, that's my savings account. Uh, but cash is still a part of, a big part of your investing portfolio of your investments. So stocks, bonds, real estate, and cash. That's the four main places. Gotcha. Okay, so stocks was your first one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think most people under, understand what stocks are in, in a way. You know, it's 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 a piece of a company that you own, and that the value goes up or the value goes down. Yeah, you got it. Uh, think of you own stocks, and bonds are a loan. So if you hear the word stock, you own a piece of that company. If you hear the word bond, you actually gave a loan to a company. Mm. It might be the same company. Uh, where it gets a little confusing is there's so many different ways you can own stocks. So we'll talk to people and we'll say, I don't have any stocks. Well, it turns out you've got 200 grand in stock mutual funds. Yes, mm. you do. You mm-hmm. own stocks. So just real quick, there's three main ways you can own stocks. You can either own the individual stock, like you just might own uh, Apple or Harley Davidson or whatever it might be. You own that actual stock, one stock, you own that. Then there's something called a mutual fund, which means that you trusted somebody else to go out and buy a collection of stocks. Mutual means kind of, hey, we're all in it together because it's not just you. Mm -hmm. There's thousands of people that are part of this mutual fund. So each of you go ahead, 
throw some money in this mutual fund, the manager goes out and buys stocks. Then there's a newer way, you know, newer in the last 20 years or so, called an exchange traded fund. And those are somewhat similar to mutual funds in that it's a collection of stocks, but it's also similar to having an individual stock in that you can trade, you can buy and sell these exchange traded funds throughout the day. So they oh. have different prices from, we're in central time zone, we're in Wisconsin, the stock market's generally open between 8.30 a.m. and 3 p.m. You can go buy your exchange traded fund. A lot of people call them ETFs, right? That's the mm-hmm. acronym for it. You can buy that throughout the day. Meanwhile, a mutual fund, you can send your money to the mutual fund company anytime between 8.30 and 3, but they're not going out and trading that. They're waiting until the end of the day. That's when you get your price. So it's kind of an interesting gotcha. situation is you might have bought this ETF exchange traded fund at 8.30. You might have sold it uh, later on in the day. Those are probably two completely different prices. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I, I assume that with mutual funds and ETFs, it's possible to own stocks that maybe you couldn't necessarily afford before because it's a group thing, right? Yeah, that, that's where you're, that's great. That's where I uh, love that you're getting at that. You know, you, you want to go out and buy stocks and you want to be diversified. You hear that term diversification. You ought to spread things out. Mm-hmm. Well, if you only have a thousand bucks and the stock that you want to buy is worth a hundred, you can get 10 shares of that stock and you have no money left to go out and buy a bunch of other stocks. But if you took that thousand dollars and bought a mutual fund, you might have just bought 50 stocks or a hundred stocks. You were able to diversify mm-hmm. your investment into a whole lot of different stocks because you're in it together. You're buying into that mutual fund that then goes out and buys stocks. So usually when we're working with uh, investors, uh, they'll be in mutual funds or these exchange traded funds because that's a way to be better diversified is to take your thousand bucks, your hundred thousand, whatever it is, and go out and buy a lot of stocks by owning this mutual fund or owning this exchange traded fund. Yeah. Being in Omaha, a lot of people, uh, well, I, I think Nationwide, people have heard of Berkshire Hathaway, right? You've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Oracle of Omaha. <laughs> yeah. But oh, yeah. those Warren shares, Buffett. yeah, Warren Buffett, those shares are extremely expensive for, I think they call them A shares, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I don't, I could be completely quoting the wrong price here, but I think the last time I heard of an A share, it was tens of thousands of dollars for one. I think it was like a hundred or 200,000. I, oh, I honestly geez. haven't See? even looked recently. So <laughs> someone, someone listening to this right now owns Berkshire Hathaway and they're laughing at us. But the that's the the point of it is that it's like over a hundred grand to buy one stock, yeah. And then you're not that diversified. You got one stock, so it's great <laughs> uh, to go out there and buy a mutual fund or exchange traded fund, and then uh, you are owning uh, a whole lot of different stocks. Yeah, absolutely. Now a couple of things real quick, and that's why we're trying to just go through the basics, the definitions. We hear this all the time. Um, I don't own stocks. I own mutual funds. Well, are they stock mutual funds? That's an important thing to know. Because yes, you do own stocks if mm-hmm. it's a stock mutual fund. Or sometimes people say, well, I don't have any of those. I have an index fund. Now, that's an interesting thing. So an index is an interesting way to invest. That just means that you are trying to match the market. You're trying to match the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones. But that doesn't tell you if it's a mutual fund or exchange traded fund. So you can own index funds through this mutual fund area, or you can use them through the exchange traded fund areas. Um, Index funds are an interesting way. Another term for that is passive. It means you're not trying to beat the market. Uh, Some of these mutual funds are trying to be active. They're trying to go out and pick and choose the different funds. 
So when you're going out and looking at a mutual fund or exchange traded fund, one thing to think of is this an index fund, which is a passive way to invest, or is this an active fund that's going out trying to beat the market? They're picking and choosing these different uh, stocks to to try to get a little bit better better gain. So that's some of the decisions you got to make: is do I want to own individual stocks? Do I want to own mutual funds? Do I want to own exchange traded funds? And then uh, do I want to be more passive, just trying to match the market, or do we want to try to beat the market uh, through something called an active fund? Mm-hmm. A couple other things on that is uh, whether it's an individual stock, mutual fund, ETF, you make money on two different ways, dividends and gains. So if you own a piece of the company and they are uh, making money and sending it out, uh, that's called a dividend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, there's gains, which those gains could be negative, right? If the market's down, your gains could be negative. So understand that there's two different ways that you might get paid out from the stock, the dividends uh, or the gains. The dividends are a little bit more consistent. The gains fluctuate up and down every single day. Some other things to keep in mind with stocks is there's a whole lot of different types of stocks. And again, uh, when we say stocks, these are stocks that could be in a mutual fund, could be an exchange traded fund. So when you're looking to diversify and have a whole lot of different areas, you're going to want to look for small company stocks, mid-sized company stocks, larger company stocks, right? They all react differently uh, based on what's going on with the market. There's also stocks in the U.S. Here we are in the United States. You might want to own a lot of the United States type of stocks, but there's a whole part of the rest of the world out there. Those are called international stocks. You might want a piece of that too, because maybe not 100% of the time is the U.S. stock market the best. I mean, we might think the USA is the best. That's great. But not 100% of the time uh, is the U.S. stock mm-hmm. market going to be the winner. So it's good to have some international stocks out there. And just want to talk about some other terms real quick too. You might have heard of value stocks or growth stocks. That's kind of two main ways that you can go out and look at these individual at stocks, mutual funds, and ETFs. A value company, uh, when the market's down, there might be a lot of value companies that are on sale because those are uh, stocks that usually uh, maybe uh, aren't as high priced as they could be. Maybe there's something going on with a company and it's on a discount, right? It's maybe a little bit lower priced just Mm because something's going on with the company. So the thought is, well, if it's low priced now, maybe it'll come up later on and that's where you make your money. Then you've got growth stocks, which now lately, the last 20 years or so, 25 years even, those are usually more like the technology kind of firms, right? Those that are growing no matter what the the market's doing. It's more about this is a company that's on a big trajectory. It's not necessarily going to make you money just because it's on sale. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times when you're investing, you're looking for uh, either value or growth stocks. Or usually what you do is you you get a little, little bit of both, right? Sometimes one does better than the other. The whole point of spreading things out uh, is to um, be be a part of whichever part, uh, side of that is going to be growing in the future. Got it. All right. Well, let's move on to bonds. Now, a lot of times people own individual stocks. Not so often do people own individual bonds. I think that this has something to do with stocks are usually forever and bonds usually have an end date. Right, And when okay. you buy a bond, it might be due in 10 years because it's a loan. You think of your mortgage. Most people start out with a 30-year mortgage. Maybe they refinance and they move to like a 15 or 20-year mortgage, but they have an end date. Right? If your mortgage has an end date, so does a bond. And so a lot of times, even if you did have an individual bond, at some point in time, it runs out Right? because at the point that the bond is done with, 
the company has to pay you back the entire principal. So uh, when you own a bond, you get to earn interest over time, and then at the end of it, you get your principal uh, paid back. Now, what's interesting about uh, this is that some investors, you know, ones that have a little bit more money, perhaps, or some investors that have money outside of IRAs, right? They're looking for these individual bonds because they have this belief that they don't fluctuate, right? We talk about bonds and they say, well, I want to own an individual bond because I heard this mutual fund. You can actually have bond mutual funds. You can have bond exchange traded funds just like you can with stocks. But there's this belief that if you have an individual bond that you can't lose money. They say, well, it doesn't fluctuate. I put in my thousand bucks today and five years later, they pay me back the thousand bucks. Meanwhile, mutual funds, those fluctuate all the time. So I don't want one of those. Well, if a mutual fund is made up of 100 bonds, all it is is a collection of all these things that in your mind aren't fluctuating. And you know what? If you've ever been in a position where you bought individual bonds, you have a statement that shows these different individual bonds, uh, look at your statement every month. They fluctuate. Mm. Trust me. The price of uh, individual bonds go up and down every single day. The issue is you probably bought this bond and you never thought about thought about it till 10 years later when it comes due, right? But it is fluctuating every single day. That is something that we hear people say. Uh, and it's, um, it's tough to uh, show them a little bit different. But trust me, individual bonds fluctuate in price every single day. Hmm. Mutual funds that fluctuate in price every single day are made up of individual bonds. Why do you think the, ind the mutual fund's fluctuating? Because the individual bonds that the mutual fund holds is fluctuating. Yeah. So that's just something that, I don't know if you, you may have heard my voice there, Eric, but it, that, that gets me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Is that, uh, people have this belief and, and that's okay. We want to educate everyone um, that this is how things work. And, and trust me, individual bonds are not safer than mutual funds of bonds. It yeah, just doesn't I, exist. I, I think that what people think is that because like you, you put it, a bond is a loan in a way. Um, when we get loans, they don't fluctuate. Right. If I have a car loan, I know mm -hmm. what I'm going to be paying every month. I know what my interest rate is. I know what the final price of the car is going to be. And that's steady for the three years or five years or however many years I'm, I'm uh, you know, putting a loan on a car. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that that's where people get confused, that that a bond is kind of a loan in a way, but it can also fluctuate. So, no, that's great information. Yeah, we can't blame it. I, I think that's, uh, I, you know, I haven't even heard it explained that way. I love that, Eric. Um, I'm glad we're talking because that really helped me out of why why is it that people have this um, uh, this thought? And a lot of times, right, um, you might have bought 10 individual bonds, and if all 10 of them pay out, yeah, you're right. You bought it for 1000 bucks. Five years later, you got the 1000 bucks back. You It did ignore all the fluctuations in between, but you didn't miss out because you got your money back there. And then what happens, though, is you all of a sudden get a default when bonds don't pay back, right? Individuals sometimes don't pay back their mortgage. They don't mm -hmm. pay back their, their loans. That's called a default. Well, if you had those 10 individual bonds and one of them defaulted, you're feeling the hurt. You were expecting 10 places to pay you back a thousand bucks and one of them didn't, right? That's a big, big hit. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting where uh, you might go throughout uh, time and spend uh, your life thinking, oh, these are safe, these are safe, these are safe, and then boom, you get hit by default. That is one of the things that we feel is an advantage to a mutual fund is when you have a bond mutual fund or bond exchange traded fund, you might own 50 or 100 or 500 different of these bonds. Mm 
if one of those default, you don't even notice it, right? Who, who You're not going to notice when you have 400 bonds that one of them defaulted, mm -hmm. right? But when you have 10 of these bonds and they're individual and one of them defaults, you feel the pain. Yeah. So it's uh, sometimes you get lulled into this false sense of security, and we just want people to understand there's risks there in individual bonds. They do go up and down in price, and they could default. And sometimes you do want to uh, spread out your risk uh, with that mutual fund or exchange traded fund, the ETF of bonds, so that you just don't really feel or even notice at all that there's a pain there of one or two of those bonds defaulting. Got it. Good advice. Yeah, appreciate it. Now, there's different types of bonds too, right? Just like there's different types of stocks, there's different types of bonds. Typically, uh, you're going to look at kind of two categories. One category of bond is based on uh, is it due in a short amount of time, a medium amount of time, or a long amount of time? Now, those definitions are up to debate, but let's just go with one. We'll just, we're talking here, so I'll make them up, right? Okay. Short-term short -term bonds, they might be due in like two or three years. You know, you think of like a two or three-year CD. That's pretty short, right? Mm -hmm. a sh that, that bond is kind of safer in a way because, you know, you, you trust this company and you got an idea that it'll be around for two or three years. But then there's medium-term bonds, bonds that might be like three to seven years before they're due. Well, maybe that company might have trouble five or six or seven years from now. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't necessarily pay back. Maybe they default. So they're a little bit riskier. Meanwhile, there's long-term bonds. Those are usually seven years or beyond. You know, if you buy a 30-year bond, you're trusting that that company is going to be around for 30 years. Yeah. Right? So typically, the short-term bonds are a little bit safer, so they don't pay out as much as the medium-term bonds. They're a little bit riskier, so you need to pay out a little bit more to get people invest. And then the long-term bonds are a little bit riskier. You need to pay out more than the medium ones and short-term ones to get uh, people to invest with you. So sometimes the way to go investing is you diversify, you spread things out. And when you're looking at bonds, short, medium, and long, that'll most likely get you a good diversification of when things are coming due. And it might just pay out a little bit uh, differently because some of them are paying higher amounts than other ones just because mm -hmm. there's a little bit higher risk. The other category to really think about is how, um, now here's an interesting term. The term is called credit worthy, all right? We're trying to keep it simple, but that's a bond term. That's one worth maybe knowing. How credit worthy is the place that you're loaning money from? Now, typically, there might be some debate now, but typically the U.S. government is more credit worthy than a, a normal company, right? Typically, you figure the U.S. government's gonna pay back everybody. Mm -hmm. and there's some other companies that are out there, and oh my goodness, you've heard of them all. Uh, you can trust these type of companies, but eh, every so often something comes up. They call that investment grade. So it's kind of a, a, a top line, a U.S. company that you've heard of. Then there's other companies that maybe you haven't heard of. Maybe they uh, have a little bit more risk. Those are called high-yield uh, bonds. So when you're investing, think about short, medium, and long-term, but also think about am I buying government bonds from the U.S. government that are pretty darn close to guaranteed? Or am I buying investment grade where it's a big company that you can trust? Or am I buying high yield uh, bonds? And the reason you might want all three of them is because those are different types of risks mm -hmm. and those are different types of investments. You might want the really safe U.S. government bond, but guess what? It's not going to pay you that much. Then you want to get a little bit uh, more yield is another term when it comes to bonds, a little bit more interest in a way you have to get a little bit of investment grade bonds. And if you want even more yield than that, you're gonna take on some extra risk, go out by the high yield bonds. But the whole point of investing in stocks 
is to have diversification. Same thing with bonds, short, medium, and long-term bonds, and then government investment grade, which is the top well-known companies in the U.S., and then the high-yield bonds. Those are the ways to diversify in the bond area. Got it. Let's move on to real estate. A lot of times people ask us about real estate, and when they're asking us about real estate, a lot of times they're thinking about what if they personally own uh, some real estate, like uh, go out and get some rental real mm -hmm. estate, a duplex, multifamily, means that maybe you have like three, four, or more uh, apartments in there. Commercial might mean you own like a, um, a strip mall. You own the uh, you know strip mall down the street that's got the, uh, the grocery store, the bank. You've got a bunch of different commercial, some business people that are paying you the rent as opposed to what's usually the apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're thinking of that, uh, we want to keep in mind a few things. Uh, one of them is, do you want to actually manage that, right? Do you want to be the one? that's going on and collecting the rent? Do you want to be the one that's uh, fixing things up when things break down? Right, That's one thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Another thing to think about is a lot of times, and we hear this quite a bit, a lot of times people want to use their IRA money to go out and invest in real estate. Um, when the market goes down, it seems like a lot of people start thinking a little bit more about that because they figure, hey, real estate never goes down. Well, guess what? It does. It does. Right? Or, or they think, well, at least I own something. Yeah, well, if yeah. you own something and no one's paying your rent and no one wants to buy it from you, you know, that's a bad situation too. So mm -hmm. don't get, uh, don't believe that real estate is safe. Don't believe uh, that just because you own something, right? You own something too with a stock. You own a piece of that company. Just the issue is you usually don't see that company. When you can drive by the rental real estate down the street that you own, it gives you a little bit better sense of security uh, on there um, because you, you feel like you own it. It's a physical thing that you can you can see there. But just some things to keep in mind is do you want to be the one uh, that manages it, that uh, has to find the renters, has to um, come up with all the uh, fixing all the issues that are mm -hmm. there? And so there's three main tax advantages to owning real estate. Uh, one of them is that you can go out and get a mortgage, right? If mm -hmm. you wanted to buy a $400,000 duplex and you don't have 400 grand in cash, you can go out and get a mortgage to, to help out the duplex. Might only take you uh, 50 grand or 100 grand of cash to go out and buy this uh, this piece of property worth 400 grand. So you can get a mortgage, that's a big uh, helpful thing. Yep. And then there's some tax rules and you can uh, deduct the interest you pay on the mortgage. Another big tax rule is that uh, you get this thing called a step up in cost basis means if you bought this rental for 400 grand and then later on you die and you pass the uh, rental property, you pass this uh, piece of property over to your family, it's worth 500 grand, they get this step up. They don't have to pay the taxes on the gain. That's a huge uh, help. Yeah, that's fantastic. Then there's another uh, big help called depreciation. And that gets a little confusing too. Let's just say you made five grand last year from your rental. And then just the fact that you bought real estate the government allows you on your taxes to take off a little bit of money from your, your earnings. They might have said you earned five grand, but you get to write off five grand kind of for free. It's this thing called depreciation. So you made five grand, but you didn't even have to pay uh, taxes on it. Well, it's not for free. Later on, when you sell that property, you have to add back in all those uh, write-offs that you put in for depreciation. Uh, so it is just kind of deferring the taxes on later. But still, tax deferral is a, is a good thing. The reason we talk about this uh, right now is that those three advantages 
are great advantages for when you go and buy a rental property personally. But a lot of times when the market's down, people are looking around saying, oh, stocks are down 20%, stocks are down 30%. I'm just going to go out and buy some real estate with my IRA and then I can't lose. Well, mm. we talked about that already. You can lose. Yes, you do. <laughs> but yeah, it can for sure. But those three tax advantages that I talked about where you can get a mortgage, you get the step up into cost basis, you get this depreciation turning into tax deferred money. None of that applies to traditional IRAs. So mm. when you're looking at the market being down and maybe a lot of times you want to go out and buy some real estate, uh, keep in mind that the three biggest advantages to actually owning real estate do not exist inside of your traditional IRA. So maybe something you want to do, but just understand that it's it's um, not as advantageous to own this real estate inside of your, your IRA. No, got it. Now, real quick, you still can own real estate. And usually the more diversified, the way that helps out a little bit more inside of your retirement accounts is to own something called a REIT, Real hmm. Estate Investment Trust. So when you own a REIT, Typically, uh, just like you owned a stock, it's more like a, a stock real estate investment trust. You own companies that go out and manage and own real estate. Or it could be like a bond REIT where maybe you're lending money to other companies that go out and buy the real estate. So oftentimes you can go out and buy these REITs or mutual funds of REITs where you are uh, having a collection of them. So nothing wrong with owning real estate. Just understand uh, the differences and typically when you're investing and you're looking at your IRA, your 401k, you're probably going to own some of these uh, real estate investment trusts through a mutual fund or through an exchange traded fund because that'll be a collection of these different companies. It'll be a collection of the stock kind, a collection of the bond kind. That's a diversified way to go. Gotcha. All right. One last one for you, Eric. This all one's right. the easiest. We saved the easiest one for last. Deal. Cash. <laughs> Cash. Yep. So cash, we all love cash. Cash is king is, a, right. is a phrase in the investing world. <laughs> and typically uh, when you're talking about cash uh, and you're talking about investments, typically you'll see a little bit uh, a line in your investment statement that talks about money markets, right? There's maybe one or 2% that's left over and that ends up being in the money market. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind there is that when you have a broker like Schwab or Fidelity or uh, TD Ameritrade, these are kind of big broker areas, um, a lot of times they get to set what the money market rate is, but you also sometimes get the choice. So if you've got a decent amount in your investment account that's in cash, go take a look at the interest rate. You might be getting 0.01 or 0.3%. Mm -hmm. And if you just take a little bit of research, you might be able to get that uh, money market rate uh, above 1%. So if you have cash in your investment account, Go out there and see what you can do to uh, maximize and get a higher interest rate. That'd be worth a thing. You know, yeah. you think cash is easy, right? But uh, you still sometimes need a little bit of research when you have investments with a company, when you have some cash in there, you may be able to get some better uh, interest by asking around. Got it. Good, good And point. even in the banks, right? A lot of people do have uh, 10 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand. They've saved up great amounts of money uh, in the banks just because it's in a bank and it's safe, we think it's all uh, safe. There's some things you gotta keep in mind too. Uh, we just ran into a, a couple uh, a few weeks ago. It seems to happen at least a couple times a year. Uh, but just, I'm thinking of one just a couple weeks ago. They were great savers, good for them. They had a couple hundred grand in their bank. And it's a local bank, it's a well-known bank. And they were paying them 0.10% interest. Jeez. 
when you go online, when you shop around, you can easily right now, right? We're in the middle of 2020, probably by the time folks are listening to this, and uh, you can easily right now get 1%, 1.5% for the same types of investments, mm-hmm. right? They're, this couple is missing out on maybe $3,000 or more a year because their current bank is is not just paying them what they should be paying them. They're not paying them what everyone else is. So yeah. they could take a little bit extra action and maybe move to a different bank. Or it's interesting in this bank that I'm thinking of right now that'll go uh, unnamed. Um, but uh, this bank, a uh, year or two ago, I ran into three people in the same situation with the same amount of money at that bank. And what we did for them is we went uh, online and we printed off what the online rates were. We went to some local competitors and we printed off what those rates were. And we said, just take this into your local bank. You don't mm-hmm. even have to move it. Just take it in, show it to them and say, hey, what can you do? Well, all three of them called us up and said, oh my goodness, they're paying us a percent and a half more, right? Yep. They're, each of these couples uh, is making like 1500 to $3,000 a year more in interest because they took the time to just uh, do a little research. I guess we did it for them, but that's okay. That's what we do, right? We want to help people out. And uh, they just went in and talked to them and they were able to get better rates of um, interest on their money markets and their savings accounts at their local bank. They didn't even have to move it. Just yep. take some time. Cash is king. Cash seems easy, but you still got to do a little bit of research to make sure you're getting the best interest rate that's out there. Absolutely. Again, a bank is a business. They're not going to volunteer that information necessarily because they, they don't want to have to pay anything extra. Just like, you know, to, to break it down to simple terms, if you call your cell phone company and, and talk to them about giving you a better deal, nine times out of the 10, they will. They'll mm-hmm. give you a better deal. Yeah. Your cable company, your any any of these other companies, if you say, look, here, here's the thing, I, I'd like to save some money or I'd like to make a little bit more money, just have that discussion. Be bold enough to, to do that. That's great that you provided your uh, your clients with those statements, because again, you go in with a little bit of firepower. Hey, this is what I could do over here if I were to change. Oh, well, no, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, we'd love for you to stay here. Here, have a toaster and an extra percentage point or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just starting that conversation. That's great. Well, we're hoping today was a great, uh, back to the basics on investing. Hoping everyone got some good uh, education on that. I'm just going to summarize a few things here. When it comes to stocks, if you own a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, it's made up of stocks, right? So when uh, sometimes people say, I don't want stocks, they're too risky. Well, guess what? You got them. They're in the mutual funds mm-hmm. and exchange traded funds you own. When it comes to bonds, an individual bond, just because you know that if you give them a thousand bucks today and they're supposed to give you a thousand bucks later on, that doesn't mean it's safe, right? There's pricing in mm-hmm. individual bonds that fluctuate every day. And there is a chance for that bond to default. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, we want to, to bust some misconceptions today. Yeah. When it comes to real estate, you can lose money in real estate. Just because you can see it doesn't mean it's 100% safe. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with owning real estate, investing in real estate. Uh, I do that uh, myself too. But I understand a little bit about it and I understand the tax situations. And when you're looking at a time where the market happens to be down, um, don't feel like real estate is a safe investment or safer than stocks. And understand, if you're going to be taking money from your IRA, some of the biggest tax advantages aren't going to be there when you're looking at investing in real estate through your IRA. And with cash, it pays to do your research. Look to see online. Look to see what the other local banks are paying. Uh, And maybe it's worthwhile for you to switch your uh, bank account money, your money market money around to make a little bit better interest. But sometimes you can just take that research right to the bank 
and uh, they'll pay you out right there anyways, give you some better interest because they want to keep you as a client. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff today, Jeremy. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Eric. You bet. And I want to thank each one of you listening to this. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast with Jeremy Kyle. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Jeremy comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Kyle Financial Partners, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. Content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.